You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Amen. Amen. Well, as Bristow said, my name is Matt, and it's really good to see you all for for worship today. We're glad to see you. Uh, Hello to everyone on the live stream. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Have you ever seen the Discovery Show Dirty Jobs? Anyone? Yeah, some people. Who, who's seen it? I wasn't looking. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating show. This guy named Mike travels the country to spend a day learning the ins and outs of particularly dirty jobs. Hence the title. And it's it's worth checking out. It's a good show. He's done all of the dirty jobs that you would expect from a title like that. Uh, he has cleaned out septic systems, and that job is as fumy and fecal-filled as you fear. He did it. But he's also done stuff that I never would have even thought about. Dirty jobs that are just not on my radar. Um, he, he spent a day recycling soap and shampoo from hotels. And you would think that that's really clean, but it's a filthy process. It's pretty nasty. He has squeezed into the inner workings of escalators and vacuumed out all the things that we leave behind on accident when we ride up and down. The, the jobs they highlight are great television, right? It's, it's the same kind of can't-look-away stuff that draws rubbernecks driving past an accident on I-25. You know who you are, and look where you're going before you cause another accident. But it's like that. You can't look away from these dirty jobs. But my favorite part about the show is not actually the jobs that he does. It's the people that you meet along the way. It showcases those who do the dirty work that makes our society function. And it dignifies their work. And shows that really, when you get to the bottom of it, they're, they're no different than you and me. And I don't know about you, but I've had some dirty jobs over the years. I've had some pretty wild gigs. Did you know that by the age of 30, most Americans have seven or eight jobs? And so in a room this size, I bet we've had some pretty wild jobs. <laughs> Who's had a a job that could have been on the show? Dirty jobs. Anybody had a job that could have been on the show and like micro should come and spend a day? Yeah. Anyone, anyone else clean toilets, right? It's not just me. I've cleaned toilets in churches and campgrounds and medical buildings and even a few skyscrapers. And you see some things in those stalls, (laughs) right? Like no human is responsible for this. So the only natural conclusion is that maybe aliens are real. (laughs) You can't do that job for very long without believing something. Several times in my life, I was a delivery guy. Anybody anybody a delivery person? I've been out of the delivery game for a long time. It was way before Amazon and DoorDash. I delivered huge bags of pharmaceuticals to rural nursing homes really weird. One time I delivered 
in the middle of an actual tornado, like rolled up to the nursing home. We could see the tornado, like from, so not only did I deliver drugs, <laughs> I helped urgently wheel all of the residents to the storm shelter. And then I sang hymns when the power went out to help everybody kind of stay chill while we just waited the storm out in the dark. That was a good gig. What else we got? Who's had a job? Anybody who's had a job that could have been, if you're on the live stream, type your dirty job into the chat. Um, who's had a job that would have been on the show? Anybody? Yeah. Shout it out. Yes. Was that at a nursing home or hospice or something helping, helping some old elderly folks stay clean? Yeah, that's, that's a dirty job. Thank you for, that's a dirt. Yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> what, what you got? What'd you do? Fish tanks. Big fish tanks. From having a small fish, cleaning fish tanks, and I've had a small one, and I can tell you that that's pretty nasty. Yeah, a huge tank would just multiply the nastiness. Yeah. Uh, for about six months, I joined the ranks of America's most hated profession. Are you ready for this? I was a telemarketer. Any telemarketers in the house? Who was a telemarketer? What'd you sell? Chevy Chase calling cards. That's amazing. <laughs> two, two. Did they have? That's, yeah. Anybody else telemarket? Anybody else don the headset and the auto dialer? What'd you sell? MCI. I sold drugstore quality makeup at designer prices. <laughs> Primarily between like the price is right and Wheel of Fortune. Because once it was time for dinner prep, just forget about it. Like switch time zones or just shut it down. Right? Uh, here's the clincher. All right. Here's the clincher. I. Uh, I was responsible for mopping the embalming room at a mortuary. Anyone ever mopped the embalming room of a mortuary? <laughs> so I know this isn't a contest, but <laughs> I win. I win. Micro, if you're listening. Uh, if, if you're wondering, it's a very clinical environment, very clean, except when it's not. And it doesn't matter how many times you go in there or how many lights you turn on, you never get used to it like Bernie the mortician said you would. It's not okay. Uh, you might have guessed by now that our four-letter word for the day for the place of endless torment is work. We're talking about work. And you can follow along on the sermon notes at votrweekly.org. Pull out your phone and the sermon notes are there. Work is a fascinating little subject because it's universally relatable. We all do work, right? But it varies from person to person. Like we all experience work differently. And so our perspective varies widely. Not only that, but it even changes for each individual over time from job to job or boss to boss 
depending on the season of life, your relationship with work might flip. And statistically speaking, our church right here, this room and the rooms that are on the live stream, we are uh, filled with both workaholics and quiet quitters and everything in between. And so is your workplace. Maybe you live for the grind. Or perhaps you live by the axiom of famed Canadian existentialist lover boy and you're working for the weekend. Some of us are looking for work, which is work in and of itself, right? You're pounding the pavement, striving to get hired. Some of us are so disillusioned with jobs and bosses and corporate culture that you don't even care if you get fired at this point. If you're following Jesus, you might wonder if your relationship with him has anything to do with your work. What does it mean to be a Christian educator or engineer? Can doctors and full stack developers be disciples? What are the implications of living that way? Or maybe you think that religion is a private matter and doesn't belong in the marketplace at all. And that's a widespread sentiment. Do you wish that everyone would just leave their spirituality in the employee parking lot and just get to work already? Regardless of where you land on all of this, there is one thing that is increasingly common and that more and more of the world's workers share. A Gallup poll just last year revealed a staggering statistic that only 15% of the workers worldwide are engaged in their job. It's 15%. Just let that, let that number sink in. It's tempting to leave a statistic like that at the global level. But let's slice that and apply those stats to our city. What about our workplace? How does that slice? Or our church, or even your household? We didn't all escape the 85% that hate their jobs, did we? Have you ever been at work and wondered how you got there? Right? Like, not the commute, <laughs> the life choices. Have you ever spent an entire shift asking yourself if it's worth it? Like, is the paycheck worth the degrading, soul-crushing, slow death that it takes? I mean, not, not me, not this job, not. <laughs> it was the mortuary mopping. Done. But Mike Rowe, the host of the aforementioned show Dirty Jobs, he said this. Some jobs pay better, some jobs smell better, and some jobs have no business being treated like careers, but work is never the enemy regardless of the wage. Work is never the enemy regardless of the wage. Mike is on to something. It can feel like work is the enemy, but it's not. We we can scan the scriptures today and find a biblical view of this four-letter word 
And so I want to start at the very beginning of the story and then quickly move all the way through to Revelation. And I want to draw out two themes for us today. Number one is that work matters to God. Work matters to God. The first few pages of the Bible reveal God as a worker. The creation account gives God's example for work and rest. And since we're created in his image, work is a feature, not a bug. And that is confirmed explicitly in Genesis chapter 2. It says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work and to take care of it. Work was part of God's design for people. God gave work to us as a gift, not a curse. It was part of paradise in the garden, given before Adam and Eve rebelled. They worked. But then from the moment of the fall, work was impacted by the curse of sin. It became a burden for the whole human race. In Genesis 3, God says that we'll struggle to scratch a living. So you're not crazy or defective. You're not the only one who feels like a yo-yo at work. The ups and downs are the result of the fall. But the curse and the struggle, that wasn't part of the original design. And thank God, it's not part of the destiny of work either. You know, here at the Vineyard, we're transforming, we're joining God's mission, transforming all things. And, and work, work is a huge part of all things for each one of us, right? We'll spend about a third of our life working. For each one of us, that's about 90,000 hours over the course of our lifetime. So why would this huge thing work be excluded from God's mission of making all things new? God's work of transformation in the world includes our work and he invites us into the process. So for today's sermon, we might even say we're joining God's mission, transforming work. If we skip to the end of the story, when God's kingdom is fulfilled and the curse is reversed and everything sad comes untrue, on the last page of the Bible, it says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how, but we will serve God in the new heavens and new earth. We'll still work, but it'll be free from the toil and the struggle. In fact, Isaiah prophesied about the world after Christ's return. And he described the results of the perfect rule of King Jesus being so peaceful in Isaiah chapter two It says that the nations will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
We long for the perfect peace of the kingdom come. But don't overlook what happens to the weapons of our warfare. We'll transform them into tools and we'll return to our original vocation that God gave to cultivate, to take care of the garden. So work was there at the beginning as part of God's good creation and work will be there in eternity, part of the perfect peace of the kingdom of the Christ. And all throughout the story, we get these little glimpses of God's good design for our work. In Exodus chapter 31, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of Hizamek, the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. It's a pretty fascinating little passage of the Bible. God is giving instructions to make the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the place for people to meet with him. And God spends like five chapters of Exodus giving these really detailed instructions of what to make and how to do it. And then this this passage comes on the heels where God has specifically anointed and called people to do the work, to follow the instructions that he gave. So yes, work matters to God. Not only did he design it, he empowers it. He chooses and calls. He fills people with his spirit and with wisdom, ability, and expertise. And check it out. Those verses, they're about the trades. Goldsmithing, forging, woodworking, gilding, weaving, tailoring, and perfumery. People were divinely enabled in their trades to make the beautiful things that God asked for in the tabernacle. It's it's easy to think that God only empowers certain kinds of work for certain kinds of people, that he cares about preachers and prophets, but, but not jewelers or janitors. Have we elevated the work inside churches and ministries, deeming it sacred while declaring everything else profane? The great reformer Martin Luther wrote about this very thing 500 and some years ago. He said, there has been a fiction by which bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate while princes, lords, artisans, and peasants are considered the temporal estate. This is an artful lie and a hypocritical invention. He's not one to mince words. If you have felt implicit pressure to disengage with things that aren't Christian enough, 
or to separate the sacred from the secular in your life. That's evidence of the artful lie that Luther is talking about. Maybe even you, you've felt called to quit your job so that you could go into full-time ministry. And that might be a legit call, but, but imagine if Bezalel and Oholiab abandoned their crafts to become priests instead. There wouldn't have been an Ark of the Covenant or altars or priestly robes, much less a tabernacle to put it all in as a place to meet with God. Don't you see God calls priests and God calls artisans. And he empowers all of their work. In Luther's exposition of the Lord's Prayer, when he got to the fourth petition, he wrote, God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. Luther was spending time thinking about the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And he said, even, even the evil people eat too. <laughs> like without even praying for their daily bread, they eat. And he brilliantly expounded on the implications of this and how God gives us our daily bread. And he looked at Psalm 145. Psalm 145 verse 15 and 16 says, the eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. Now, stop and think about how, how God provides. When Moses and the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, God showed that he can cut out the middleman and go direct to consumer. Like manna. He can deliver the daily bread direct. But when's the last time you grabbed manna for dinner? God could do it that way, but he chooses to provide our daily bread through the work of other people. It's the work of others that gets bread in our bellies. The farmer that sowed the seed and harvested, the baker and the grocer. In today's world, the self-checkout attendant that is there to help when the machine breaks and you just want to pay for your bread and go home and eat. All doing what seems like ordinary, even mundane work. But Luther wrote about how they're actually doing the work of God, answering your prayer for daily bread. Every day, God gives us all that he has promised. And usually it comes through the most unappreciated and ordinary ways. Take Psalm 147, where it says that God has strengthened the bars of your gates and blessed your children within your walls. Luther's exposition of this scripture draws the same conclusions about how God keeps us safe. He could enforce his perfect justice with a legion of angels. That would be amazing. But his plan to deliver security to people is to act through the legislature and police and military and magistrates and mayors and lawyers and judges. This is how we have order in our society. And this is what Luther calls the masks of God. 
divine providence disguised as the ordinary work of women and men. God could have easily given the bread without plowing and planting. He's done it before. But he works through our work. And what's more, this truth transforms the purpose of work from being about me to being for others. You catch that? It changes it from self-gratification to mission. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Pastor Tim Keller said this, a job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. And so our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something be beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. God himself works. And it is God who dignifies our work. And it is God who calls us, making it not just work for us, but work for the flourishing of all mankind. Because work matters to God. And secondly, God matters to work. How does our faith in God come to bear on what we do and how we do it? Does God have anything to say about how we treat our coworkers or customers? Or that guy who microwaves leftover fish tacos in the break room and leaves the smelly dishes in the sink for days? Or what about this? If you work from home and that guy is your husband. <laughs> That's a different sermon for a different day. Let's, let's keep moving. What about our bosses, right? Does our faith in God have anything to say about our bosses? Does God want to inform how we interact with them, how we respond to them? And maybe you're thinking, oh, okay, Matt, slow down there. You don't know my boss. You don't know my, my boss. Well, yes, actually, I, I do know your boss. I do. Check out Colossians chapter 3 with me. Colossians 3, starting in verse 23, it says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. So, I know your boss pretty well. The master you are serving at your job is Christ. And the thing I want to draw out of this text is that as Christians, we have a new boss. We have a new boss. Like if you're living your life and going about your work and then you put your faith in Jesus, you just got a new boss. 
It's not the person in the corner office or the one who makes the schedule. It is not the name on the door or the signature on your paycheck. Regardless of whether they are awesome or incompetent, the boss is not the person above you on the org chart. God is your real boss. And right at face value, this has some pretty big implications for our work ethic and for our motives. But I want to look a little bit deeper. Verse 24 says that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Now, remind me, who gets an inheritance? Who? Family. Kids. The kids. The heirs. That's who gets the inheritance. Do you see that this means that we are the kids of the boss. This is, this is significant. We're joint heirs with Jesus. We're daughters and sons of the boss. If we can get this, it will radically change the way that we see work. Because normally, everybody's striving to prove themselves, putting in extra hours and extra effort to earn their spot and trying their best to make a name for themselves. Guys, there are those among us today who worship at the altar of careerism, literally sacrificing everything for success, sacrificing integrity and marriage and family, because you can't stop, won't stop. And work so easily becomes our identity. It's where we look to find status and define our place in the world. But when work is your identity, if you're successful, it goes to your head. And if you're unsuccessful, it destroys your heart. As Christians, we have been given salvation, adopted into the family of God. And our place as daughters and sons is secure. As believers, our identity is received, not achieved. Let me say it again. Our identity is received and given. It is not achieved and earned. We work from identity, not for it. Think of Jesus at his baptism. When the heavens opened and an audible voice of the Father boomed out of heaven announcing his, his son and that he's pleased in his son. And it was before Jesus even started ministry. It was before he had done anything to earn it. This frees us to follow the boss's example of work from a place of purity and sincerity instead of ambition and anxiety. It's so significant. And verses 24 and 25 tell us about our new compensation package. This is pretty exciting. Some of us want a new compensation package. It talks about our inheritance as a reward and that we'll be paid back for doing what is wrong. And this should give us pause if you've been skating by on the bare minimum, seeing how little you can get away with doing at work. But it also speaks to the ones who are just busting it with everything they've got, but still get passed over for the promotion. 
right? Like if you put in a good day's work, but people don't notice, you don't get the raise you deserved or the transfer that you're hoping for. You don't get into the school that you applied for. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Because God, the only boss who, who counts, he sees it all. A thousand years from now, that boss you're always complaining about, it won't matter. All that will matter is what Jesus thinks. Jobs will come and go, but the Father's benefits package is eternal. So just do your best. Do your best. Like legitimately do your best and then leave the rest in his hands. His almighty and faithful and impartial hands. Because work matters to God. It was his idea, his design. He will redeem it. And we're invited to join his redemptive mission here and now. And God matters to work. He's transforming all things, including what we do for a living and why we do it. Let's pray.